Section 7 of The Crowd by Gustave Le Bon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Oxenhandler. Book 2. Chapter 2. The Immediate Factors of the Opinions of Crowds. 1. Images, Words, and Formulae. The Magical Power of Words and Formulae. The power of words bound up with the images they evoke, and independent of their real sense. These images vary from age to age and from race to race. The wear and tear of words. Examples of the considerable variations of sense of much-used words. The political utility of baptizing old things with new names when the words by which they were designated produced an unfavorable impression on the masses. Variations of the sense of words in consequence of race differences. The different meanings of the word democracy in Europe and America. 2. Illusions. Their importance. They are to be found at the root of all civilizations. The social necessity of illusions. Crowds always prefer them to truths. 3. Experience. Experience alone can fix in the mind of crowds truths become necessary and destroy illusions grown dangerous. Experience is only effective on the condition that it be frequently repeated. The cost of the experiences requisite to persuade crowds. 4. Reason. The nullity of its influence on crowds. Crowds only to be influenced by their unconscious sentiments. The role of logic in history. The secret causes of improbable events. We have just investigated the remote and preparatory factors which give the mind of crowds a special receptivity and make possible therein the growth of certain sentiments and certain ideas. It now remains for us to study the factors capable of acting in a direct manner. We shall see in the forthcoming chapter how these factors should be put in force in order that they may produce their full effect. In the first part of this work we study the sentiments, ideas, and methods of reasoning of collective bodies, and from the knowledge thus acquired it would evidently be possible to deduce in a general way the means of making an impression on their mind. We already know what strikes the imagination of crowds, and are acquainted with the power and contagiousness of suggestions of those especially that are presented under the form of images. However, as suggestions may proceed from very different sources, the factors capable of acting on the minds of crowds may differ considerably. It is necessary, then, to study them separately. This is not a useless study. Crowds are somewhat like the sphinx of ancient fable. It is necessary to arrive at a solution of the problems offered by their psychology, or to resign ourselves to being devoured by them. 1. Images, Words, and Formulas When studying the imagination of crowds, we saw that it is particularly open to the impressions produced by images. These images do not always lie ready to hand, but it is possible to evoke them by the judicious employment of words and formulas. Handled with art, they possess, in sober truth, the mysterious power formerly attributed to them by the adepts of magic. They cause the birth in the minds of crowds of the most formidable tempests, which in turn they are capable of stilling. A pyramid far loftier than that of old Cheops could be raised merely with the bones of men who have been victims of the power of words and formulas. The power of words is bound up with the images they evoke, and is quite independent of their real significance. Words whose sense is the most ill-defined are sometimes those that possess the most influence. Such, for example, are the terms democracy, socialism, equality, liberty, etc., whose meaning is so vague that bulky volumes do not suffice to precisely fix it. 
yet it is certain that a truly magical power is attached to those short syllables as if they contained the solution of all problems they synthesize the most diverse unconscious aspirations and the hope of their realization reason and arguments are incapable of combating certain words and formulas they are uttered with solemnity in the presence of crowds and as soon as they have been pronounced an expression of respect is visible on every countenance and all heads are bowed by many they are considered as natural forces as supernatural powers they evoke grandiose and vague images in men's minds but this very vagueness that wraps them in obscurity augments their mysterious power they are the mysterious divinities hidden behind the tabernacle which the devout only approach in fear and trembling the images evoked by words being independent of their sense they vary from age to age from people to people the formulas remaining identical certain transitory images are attached to certain words the word is merely as it were the button of an electric bell that calls them up all words and all formulas do not possess the power of evoking images while there are some which have once had this power but lose it in the course of use and cease to waken any response in the mind they then become vain sounds whose principal utility is to relieve the person who employs them of the obligation of thinking armed with a small stock of formulas and commonplaces learnt while we are young we possess all that is needed to traverse life without the tiring necessity of having to reflect on anything whatever if any particular language be studied it is seen that the words of which it is composed change rather slowly in the course of ages while the images these words evoke or the meaning attached to them changes ceaselessly this is the reason why in another work i have arrived at the conclusion that the absolute translation of a language especially of a dead language is totally impossible what do we do in reality when we substitute a french for a latin greek or a sanskrit expression or even when we endeavor to understand a book written in our own tongue two or three centuries back we merely put the images and ideas with which modern life has endowed our intelligence in the place of absolutely distinct notions and images which ancient life had brought into being in the mind of races submitted to conditions of existence having no analogy with our own when the men of the revolution imagined they were copying the greeks and romans what were they doing except giving to ancient words a sense the latter had never had what resemblance can possibly exist between the institutions of the greeks and those designated today by corresponding words a republic at that epoch was an essentially aristocratic institution formed of a reunion of petty despots ruling over a crowd of slaves kept in the most absolute subjection these communal aristocracies based on slavery could not have existed for a moment without it the word liberty again what significance could it have in any way resembling that we attribute to it today at a period when the possibility of the liberty of thought was not even suspected and when there was no greater and more exceptional crime than that of discussing the gods the laws and the customs of the city what did such a word as fatherland signify to an athenian or spartan unless it were the cult of athens or sparta and in no wise that of greece composed of rival cities always at war with each other what meaning had the same word fatherland among the ancient gauls divided into rival tribes and races and possessing different languages and religions and who were easily vanquished by caesar because he always found allies among them it was rome that made a country of gaul by endowing it with political and religious unity without going back so far scarcely two centuries ago 
is it to be believed that this same notion of a fatherland was conceived to have the same meaning as at present by french princes like the great conde who allied themselves with the foreigner against their sovereign and yet again the same word had it not a sense very different from the modern for the french royalist emigrants who thought they obeyed the laws of honor in fighting against france and who from their point of view did indeed obey them since the feudal law bound the vassal to the lord and not to the soil so that where the sovereign was there was the true fatherland numerous are the words whose meaning has thus profoundly changed from age to age words which we can only arrive at understanding in the sense in which they were formerly understood after a long effort it has been said with truth that much study is necessary merely to arrive at conceiving what was signified to our great-grandfathers by such words as the king and the royal family what then is likely to be the case with terms still more complex words then have only mobile and transitory significations which change from age to age and people to people and when we desire to exert an influence by their means on the crowd what it is requisite to know is the meaning given them by the crowd at a given moment and not the meaning which they formerly had or may yet have for individuals of a different mental constitution thus when crowds have come as the result of political upheavals or changes of belief to acquire a profound antipathy for the images evoked by certain words the first duty of the true statesman is to change the words without of course laying hands on the things themselves the latter being too intimately bound up with the inherited constitution to be transformed the judicious tocqueville long ago made the remark that the work of the consulate and the empire consisted more particularly in the clothing with new words of the greater part of the institutions of the past that is to say in replacing words evoking disagreeable images in the imagination of the crowd by other words of which the novelty prevented such evocations the tail or tallage has become the land tax the gabelle the tax on salt the aids the indirect contributions and the consolidated duties the tax on trade companies and guilds the license etc one of the most essential functions of statesmen consists then in baptizing with popular or at any rate in different words things the crowd cannot endure under their old names the power of words is so great that it suffices to designate in well-chosen terms the most odious things to make them acceptable to crowds taine justly observes that it was by invoking liberty and fraternity words very popular at the time that the jacobins were able quote, to install a despotism worthy of daume a tribunal similar to that of the inquisition and to accomplish human hectomes akin to those of ancient mexico unquote. the art of those who govern as is the case with the art of advocates consists above all in the science of employing words one of the greatest difficulties of this art is that in one and the same society the same words most often have very different meanings for the different social classes who employ in appearance the same words but never speak the same language in the preceding examples it is especially time that has been made to intervene as the principal factor in the changing of the meaning of words if however we also make race intervene we shall then see that at the same period among peoples equally civilized but of different race the same words very often correspond to extremely dissimilar ideas it is impossible to understand these differences without having traveled much and for this reason i shall not insist upon them 
i shall confine myself to observing that it is precisely the words most often employed by the masses which among different peoples possesses the most different meanings such is the case for instance with the words democracy and socialism in such frequent use nowadays in reality they correspond to quite contrary ideas and images in the latin and anglo-saxon mind for the latin peoples the word democracy signifies more especially the subordination of the will and the initiative of the individual to the will and the initiative of the community represented by the state it is the state that is charged to a greater and greater degree with the direction of everything the centralization the monopolization and the manufacture of everything to the state it is that all parties without exception radicals socialists and monarchists constantly appeal among the anglo-saxons and notably in america this same word democracy signifies on the contrary the intense development of the will of the individual and as complete a subordination as possible of the state which with the exception of the police the army and the diplomatic relations is not allowed the direction of anything not even of public instruction it is seen then that the same word which signifies for one people the subordination of the will and the initiative of the individual and the preponderance of the state signifies for another the excessive development of the will and the initiative of the individual and the complete subordination of the state footnote in my book the psychological laws of the evolution of peoples i have insisted at length on the differences which distinguish the latin democratic ideal from the anglo-saxon democratic ideal independently and as the result of his travels m paul bourget has arrived in his quite recent book outremer at conclusions almost identical with mine and a footnote two illusions from the dawn of civilization onwards crowds have always undergone the influence of illusions it is to the creators of illusions that they have raised more temples statues and altars than to any other class of men whether it be the religious illusions of the past or the philosophic and social illusions of the present these formidable sovereign powers are always found at the head of all the civilizations that have successively flourished on our planet it is in their name that were built the temples of chaldea and egypt and the religious edifices of the middle ages and that a vast upheaval shook the whole of europe a century ago and there is not one of our political artistic or social conceptions that is free from their powerful impress occasionally at the cost of terrible disturbances man overthrows them but he seems condemned to always set them up again without them he would never have emerged from his primitive barbarian state and without them again he would soon return to it doubtless they are futile shadows but these children of our dreams have forced the nations to create whatever the arts may boast of splendor or civilization or greatness Quote, if one destroyed in museums and libraries if one hurled down on the flagstones before the churches all the works and all the monuments of art that religion have inspired what would remain of the great dreams of humanity to give to men that portion of hope and illusion without which they cannot live such is the reason for the existence of gods heroes and poets during fifty years science appeared to undertake this task but science has been compromised in hearts hungering after the ideal because it does not dare to be lavish enough of promises because it cannot lie Unquote. footnote daniel le soeur End of footnote. 
the philosophers of the last century devoted themselves with fervour to the destruction of the religious political and social illusions on which our forefathers had lived for a long tale of centuries by destroying them they have dried up the springs of hope and resignation behind the immolated chimeras they came face to face with the blind and silent forces of nature which are inexorable to weakness and ignore pity notwithstanding all its progress philosophy has been unable as yet to offer the masses any ideal that can charm them but as they must have their illusions at all cost they turn instinctively as the insect seeks the light to the rhetoricians who accord them what they want not truth but error has always been the chief factor in the evolution of nations and the reason why socialism is so powerful today is that it constitutes the last illusion that is still vital in spite of all scientific demonstrations it continues on the increase its principal strength lies in the fact that it is championed by minds sufficiently ignorant of things as they are in reality to venture boldly to promise mankind happiness the social illusion reigns today upon all the heaped-up ruins of the past and to it belongs the future the masses have never thirsted after truth they turn aside from evidence that is not to their taste preferring to deify error if error seduce them whoever can supply them with illusions is easily their master whoever attempts to destroy their illusions is always their victim three experience experience constitutes almost the only effective process by which a truth may be solidly established in the mind of the masses and illusions grown too dangerous be destroyed to this end however it is necessary that the experience should take place on a very large scale and be very frequently repeated the experiences undergone by one generation are useless as a rule for the generation that follows which is the reason why historical facts cited with a view to demonstration serve no purpose their only utility is to prove to what an extent experiences need to be repeated from age to age to exert any influence or to be successful in merely shaking an erroneous opinion when it is solidly implanted in the mind of the masses their only utility is to prove to what an extent experiences need to be repeated from age to age to exert any influence or to be successful in merely shaking an erroneous opinion when it is solidly implanted in the mind of the masses our century and that which preceded it will doubtless be alluded to by historians as an era of curious experiments which in no other age have been tried in such number the most gigantic of these experiments was the french revolution to find out that a society is not to be refashioned from top to bottom in accordance with the dictates of pure reason it was necessary that several millions of men should be massacred and that europe should be profoundly disturbed for a period of twenty years to prove to us experimentally that dictators cost the nations who acclaim them dear two ruinous experiences have been required in fifty years and in spite of their clearness they do not seem to have been sufficiently convincing the first nevertheless cost three million of men and an invasion the second involved the loss of territory and carried in its wake the necessity for permanent armies a third was almost attempted not long since and will assuredly be attempted one day to bring an entire nation to admit that the huge german army was not as was currently alleged thirty years ago a sort of harmless national guard footnote 
the opinion of the crowd was formed in this case by those rough-and-ready associations of dissimilar things the mechanisms of which i have previously explained the french national guard of that period being composed of peaceable shopkeepers utterly lacking in discipline and quite incapable of being taken seriously whatever bore a similar name evoked the same conception and was considered in consequence as harmless the error of the crowd was shared at the time by its leaders as happens so often in connection with opinions dealing with generalizations in a speech made in the chamber on the thirty first of december eighteen sixty seven and quoted in a book by m e oliver that has appeared recently a statesman who often followed the opinion of the crowd but was never in advance of it i allude to m thiers declared that prussia only possessed a national guard analogous to that of france and in consequence without importance in addition to a regular army about equal to the french regular army assertions about as accurate as the predictions of the same statesman as to the insignificant future reserved for railways End of footnote. the terrible war which cost us so dear had to take place to bring about the recognition that protection ruins the nations who adopt it at least twenty years of disastrous experience will be needful these examples might be indefinitely multiplied four reason in enumerating the factors capable of making an impression on the minds of crowds all mention of reason might be dispensed with were it not necessary to point out the negative value of its influence we have already shown that crowds are not to be influenced by reasoning and can only comprehend rough and ready associations of ideas the orators who know how to make an impression upon them always appeal in consequence to their sentiments and never to their reason the laws of logic have no action on crowds footnote my first observations with regard to the art of impressing crowds and touching the slight assistance to be derived in this connection from the rules of logic date back to the siege of paris to the day when i saw conducted to the louvre where the government was then sitting marshal v whom a furious crowd asserted they had surprised in the act of taking the plans of the fortifications to sell them to the prussians a member of the government g p a very celebrated orator came out to harangue the crowd which was demanding the immediate execution of the prisoner i had expected that the speaker would point out the absurdity of the accusation by remarking that the accused marshal was positively one of those who had constructed the fortifications the plan of which moreover was on sale at every bookseller's to my immense stupefaction i was very young then the speech was on quite different lines quote, justice shall be done unquote, exclaimed the orator advancing towards the prisoner and pitiless justice let the government of the national defence conclude your inquiry in the meantime we will keep the prisoner in custody unquote. at once calmed by this apparent concession the crowd broke up and a quarter of an hour later the marshal was able to return home he would infallibly have been torn in pieces had the speaker treated the infuriated crowd to the logical arguments that my extreme youth induced me to consider as very convincing End of footnote to bring home conviction to crowds it is necessary first of all to thoroughly comprehend the sentiments by which they are animated to pretend to share these sentiments then to endeavour to modify them by calling up by means of rudimentary associations certain eminently suggestive notions 
to be capable if need be of going back to the point of view from which a start was made and above all to divine from instant to instant the sentiments to which one's discourse is giving birth this necessity of ceaselessly varying one's language in accordance with the effect produced at the moment of speaking deprives from the outset a prepared and studied harangue of all efficaciousness in such a speech the orator follows his own line of thought not that of his hearers and from this fact alone his influence is annihilated logical minds accustomed to be convinced by a chain of somewhat close reasoning cannot avoid having recourse to this mode of persuasion when addressing crowds and the inability of their arguments always surprises them the usual mathematical consequences based on the syllogism that is on associations of identities are imperative writes a logician this imperativeness would enforce the assent even of an inorganic mass were it capable of following associations of identities this is doubtless true but a crowd is no more capable than an inorganic mass of following such associations nor even of understanding them if the attempt be made to convince by reasoning primitive minds savages or children for instance the slight value possessed by this method of arguing will be understood it is not even necessary to descend so low as primitive beings to obtain an insight into the utter powerlessness of reasoning when it has to fight against sentiment let us merely call to mind how tenacious for centuries long have been religious superstitions in contradiction with the simplest logic for nearly two thousand years the most luminous geniuses have bowed before their laws and modern times have to be reached for their veracity to be merely contested the middle ages and the renaissance possessed many enlightened men but not a single man who attained by reasoning to an appreciation of the childish side of his superstitions or who promulgated even a slight doubt as to the misdeeds of the devil or the necessity of burning sorcerers should it be regretted that crowds are never guided by reason we would not venture to affirm it without a doubt human reason would not have availed to spur humanity along the path of civilization with the ardor and hardihood its illusions have done these illusions the offspring of those unconscious forces by which we are led were doubtless necessary every race carries in its mental constitution the laws of its destiny and it is perhaps these laws that it obeys with a resistless impulse even in the case of those of its impulses which apparently are the most unreasoned it seems at times as if nations were submitted to secret forces analogous to those which compel the acorn to transform itself into an oak or a comet to follow its orbit what little insight we can get into these forces must be sought for in the general course of the evolution of a people and not in the isolated facts from which this evolution appears at times to proceed were these facts alone to be taken into consideration history would seem to be the result of a series of improbable chances it was improbable that a galilean carpenter should become for two thousand years an all-powerful god in whose name the most important civilizations were founded improbable too that a few bands of arabs emerging from their deserts should conquer the greater part of the old greco-roman world and establish an empire greater than that of alexander improbable again that in europe at an advanced period of its development and when authority throughout it had been systematically hierarchized an obscure lieutenant of artillery should have succeeded in reigning over a multitude of peoples and kings let us leave reason then to philosophers and not insist too strongly on its intervention in the governing of men 
it is not by reason but most often in spite of it that are created those sentiments that are the mainsprings of all civilization sentiments such as honor self-sacrifice religious faith patriotism and the love of glory end of section seven